seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Lucy Letby is accused of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of ten others. While she was working on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital, Letby denies all of the charges over the incidents. Lucy Letby was the only person working on the night shift. It was alleged in court that their mother was apparently told by Miss Letby, trust me, I'm a nurse. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations, the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven infants and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. In total, there are 22 charges, all of which she denies. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for the Mail, I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week on this podcast, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. The case against Lucy Letby is that she murdered or tried to kill 17 babies while she was working as a neonatal nurse at the Countess of Chester Hospital in the northwest of England. She denies the charges. The babies in this trial are not being named for legal reasons, and the identities of their families are also being protected. They're known only as babies A to Q. Seven of the babies died. Ten survived. Each one of these babies was or is someone's son or daughter and the mums, dads and families of every baby are present in court, listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. We'll be bringing you that detail as the jury is hearing it from the prosecution and defence. We're getting behind the headlines to explain far more than the news reports you'll be reading, watching and listening to. 
and the importance of a fair trial is paramount, so we won't be getting into anything in this podcast that the jury have not been told, because they are the 12 people who have to decide the outcome of this case. The jury's hearing about each baby in turn, and they've been told 12 babies were allegedly killed or harmed by Lucy Letby between June 2015 and April 2016. So today, Caroline, in this episode, we're focusing on the 13th baby in the case. Now, she was an extremely premature baby girl who, the prosecution say, Lucy Letby tried to murder by deliberately dislodging her breathing tube less than two hours after she was born, causing her to collapse. We'll also be telling how a senior doctor suspected he interrupted her in the act. Welcome to episode 20, Baby K. So Baby K is one of the most premature babies involved in the case. Today we'll hear how, despite being born at just 25 weeks, she survived the birth. She was on the neonatal unit at the Countess for less than 11 hours before she was transferred to another hospital for more specialist care. But despite the best efforts of medical staff, she deteriorated and sadly died aged just three days. The prosecution say that while Lucy Letby tried to murder her at the Countess, less than two hours after she was born, she was not responsible for her subsequent death. All right, so let's unpick what the jury were told about this very, very tiny baby, Liz. So Baby K weighed just one pound, eight ounces, and that's less than a bag of sugar when she was born after her mother went into spontaneous labour 15 weeks early in February 2016. Now we know from other episodes that the Countess wasn't supposed to look after babies born before 27 weeks. So why was her mother even there in the first place? Well, she went to the Countess because it was her local hospital and the jury was actually told that doctors actually looked into moving her to Arrow Park Hospital on the Wirral, which is, as we've heard, a level three centre more used to looking after very premature infants. But they didn't have any neonatal cots free when she went into labour, so she stayed in Chester instead. In a statement, she told the court what happened. At the beginning of August 2015, I discovered I was five, maybe six weeks pregnant. It was a planned natural pregnancy and we were both thrilled with the news. The pregnancy progressed as normal. My husband and I attended all the scans and appointments together. When we attended the 12-week scan, an issue was identified with the baby. It was identified that the baby had a build-up of fluid at the back of her neck. At 15 weeks, I had an amniocentesis and was reassured everything was fine and there were no problems and the test came back negative for Down syndrome. I was having regular checkups and scans every two to three weeks at the Countess. The fluid at the back of my baby's neck had begun to reduce. The only other problem was when we attended a scan at 18 to 20 weeks, where it was discovered our baby had a little pocket of fluid on her lungs. But during the next scan, it was clear, and the fluid at the back of her neck was reducing. Everything was developing fine, and my consultant had no concerns about me or my baby. It was a normal Monday, the day before I reached the 25-week point of my pregnancy. I woke up with what I can only describe as a few niggles and pains. I didn't think much about it and got into the shower to get ready for work. I called the midwife and explained how I was feeling. She told me to call the labour ward and they advised me to come in to be checked over. 
A midwife informed me I was two centimetres dilated. She informed my husband and I that something was happening and I had gone into labour. We couldn't believe it. I was admitted onto the labour ward and closely monitored over the next couple of days. The medical staff were talking about giving me steroid injections in case the labour progressed further to assist our baby and develop her lungs following delivery. The medical team started looking at the option of transferring me to another hospital that was equipped to deal with a 25-week delivery. Arrow Park on the Wirral was full and didn't have a vacant bed in the neonatal unit, so I remained at the Countess. On Tuesday around midnight, I woke up in pain. My husband pressed the red emergency alarm on the wall and within a minute the room was full of staff. Our daughter was born at 2.12am. She was placed directly into an incubator and staff worked on her for 30 to 40 minutes. When I say worked, they were getting her breathing, clearing her airway, putting a hat on her and keeping her warm. As far as we were aware, there was nothing to be concerned about. We later found out she weighed one pounds eight ounces. So baby K was born just after ten past two in the morning. And Dr. J. Ram, the senior consultant who we heard a lot from last week in our bonus episode, was present at the birth. Now, he'd been called in by his more junior colleague, Dr. James Smith, and he told the court that baby K had actually been born in the breech position, which meant she was born feet first. She wasn't breathing and her heart rate was also low. Yes, but he said this was quite normal for a baby of her 25-week gestation. Dr Smith told jurors the doctors and nurses present immediately began to resuscitate her. They were helping her breathe by giving her oxygen through a mask and within two and a half minutes her heart rate was back up to over 100, which is about right for a small premature baby. And by three minutes she was trying to take breaths for herself. He told the court he thought the resuscitation had been a success. Around half an hour later at 2.40am after baby K had been stabilised she was moved to the intensive care room of the neonatal unit and she was intubated by Dr Smith which means he put a tube down her throat so she could be put on a ventilator to help her breathe. She was also given some special medicine Caroline which is known as surfactant and we've heard in previous episodes about this it's often given to premature babies to help their lungs. Now, baby Kay was placed in nursery one in the care of nurse Joanne Williams, who was her designated nurse. Lucy Letby was on duty, but she was looking after two other babies in the room next door, which was nursery two. Well, officially that's right, but jurors were shown medical records, which revealed it was actually Lucy Letby who booked her into the unit. They were also shown swipe data. Now, that was from the electronic doors of the neonatal unit, which showed that at around 3.47am, Nurse Williams left the unit and went up to the labour ward to update baby K's parents on her progress. Now, Liz, the prosecution say this moment is significant because Lucy Letby was left alone in nursery one with baby K. And we explained this in our bonus episode last Friday. Dr Jayram gave evidence that when he heard this, he was worried. He said that he'd been standing at the nurse's station writing his notes about baby K's birth when he began to feel, in his words, extremely uncomfortable. Now this is because by this point, Dr J Ram and Dr Stephen Breary had already been discussing what they called an association between Lucy Letby's presence and the sudden and unexpected deaths and collapses of several babies on the unit. So knowing that Nurse Williams had gone upstairs, he told the court that he started to feel concerned about Lucy Letby being alone in Nursery One 
so he decided to go and check on baby Kay. Now, this exchange between Dr J Ram and the prosecuting barrister, Philip Asprey, in court is pretty dramatic and it begins with Dr J Ram and has been voiced by actors. Joe had told me she was going to the labour ward and she told me that Lucy Letby was babysitting, keeping an eye on things. At this point, in mid-February, we were aware as a team of a number of unexpected and unusual events and we were aware of an association with Lucy Letby. That's all we were aware of. No cause and effect had been ascribed. I will admit it seemed entirely irrational and illogical. Joe told me she was going and Lucy was there. I felt extremely uncomfortable. You can call me hysterical, you can call me irrational, but that's how I felt because of this association. Then the rational part of myself told me to stop being so ridiculous and I kept doing what I was doing, but the thought kept coming back into my head. After two and a half to three minutes, I got up to check on baby K to prove to myself that I needed to stop being ridiculous and irrational and of course everything was going to be okay. I had not been called to review baby K, and I had not got up because I heard alarms going off. I went up to nursery one and walked in. What, if anything, did you see? As I walked up, I saw Lucy Letby standing by the incubator and the ventilator. She didn't have her hands in the incubator. I saw her, and then I looked up at the monitor, and baby K's sats were in the 80s, and they continued to drop. The ventilator was not alarming and the incubator was not alarming. The monitor is set to alarm when the sats drop below 90%. I recall saying, what's happening? And Lucy looked and said something along the lines of, she's having a desaturation. What, if anything, was she doing? Nothing. I wasn't aware she was looking at the monitor. She was facing more towards me, but didn't say anything to me until I asked her what was happening. Any more conversation between the two of you? We switched into professional mode. It didn't really make sense to me why the tube became dislodged. It had been secured and baby K was not a vigorous baby. It's very difficult to dislodge an endotracheal tube without it being spotted. So I then removed the tube, which was not blocked, and put a face mask on to ventilate. As soon as we ventilated baby K, her chest began to move up and down without a huge amount of difficulty and her sats picked up. Did Lucy let me say anything? during the course of the procedure? Nothing that I remember. So just to explain this a little bit more, Liz, Dr Jram went into Nursery One of his own accord because he was uncomfortable that Lucy Letby was there alone with baby Kay. He said no one had called for him and he hadn't heard an alarm sound to indicate a problem. And he said when he entered the room, baby K's oxygen levels were below the level, which would usually have set off the alarms, but none were sounding. And Lucy Letby, who was in the room alone with baby K, standing by her cot, wasn't calling for help either, he said. Now, this is important, Caroline, because the prosecution say Lucy Letby had caused this collapse by deliberately dislodging her breathing tube in an attempt to kill her just moments before. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts.
Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Dr. Jaram told the jury that as soon as he realized baby Kay was struggling to breathe, he gave her rescue breaths with a mask and her saturations quickly picked up. Yes, and once she'd been stabilised, Dr. Jayram asked Dr. Smith to put a new, slightly bigger breathing tube into her throat so he could put her back on the ventilator. An x-ray taken at seven minutes past six showed this was in a satisfactory position. Three minutes later, Lucy Letby, despite, remember, not being Baby Kay's designated nurse, logged onto her medical notes and recorded that her breathing tube had been secured to her bonnet and retied. But just five minutes later, her oxygen levels dropped again. Dr. Jayram said he pulled the breathing tube out of her mouth to see if it was in too far and the reason for her collapse. Baby Kay settled, but around an hour later at 7.25am, her blood pressure, heart rate and oxygen levels dropped again and she needed cardiac compressions from the nurses to keep her circulation going. Again, Dr. Jayram wrote in his notes that the breathing tube had slipped too far into her throat. And when he pulled it back, she picked up quite quickly, he said. Soon afterwards, Lucy Letby finished her night shift as normal and she went home. Now, by this time, Liz, contact had been made with Arrow Park Hospital and arrangements were being made to transfer baby Kay for more specialist care. Yeah, that's right. And the specialist transport team, who were called the Newts, arrived just before 9am. It took several hours, though, before they got baby Kay stable enough to be moved into the incubator in the ambulance. She eventually left the Countess at 12.40pm that day, eventually arriving at Arrow Park at quarter past one in the afternoon. The jury heard arrangements were made to discharge baby Kay's mother and her parents followed not long afterwards. They were given a room at Ronald McDonald House, which is a uh, specialist house on the hospital site that provides accommodation for parents of sick children. But jurors were told that she was a very poorly baby because of her prematurity. Despite the best efforts of medical staff over the next two days, her condition deteriorated. When she was just three days old, her parents made the heartbreaking decision to take her off the machines which were keeping her alive. In a statement, her mother described what happened. I was lying awake in bed when I had the strangest feeling, which I cannot begin to describe. I quietly said to my husband, shall we go and see her? As we walked into the room, I could see the monitors and SATS readings were low. I knew straight away things weren't great. There was a slim, dark-haired female doctor and I looked at her and said, she's not good, is she? The doctor confirmed the worst and told us our daughter had been fighting all night and she had been debating whether to call us. She explained they had been trying to get her SATS readings up throughout the night, but we could see things weren't good. I asked if it was just a waiting game now or if she was going to get better. We had a long conversation and she said what happens next was entirely our decision. I remember saying to the doctor that she had been poked and prodded from the moment she was born. Her tiny little delicate body had swollen up so much, I didn't want her to be suffering anymore. 
We didn't want to be informed that we'd lost our little girl by alarms on the machines going off. We didn't want to prolong things anymore. We made the decision to switch off the machines and let her go. It was by far the hardest decision of my life. One of the staff showed us to a family room where it was peaceful and quiet. Our daughter was wrapped in a blanket and was wearing a little hat. She was placed into my husband's arms and the doctor said to us, we can do this whenever you are ready. The doctor removed the breathing pump and stepped out of the room and said they would return in 20 minutes. Our daughter was in my husband's arms when she took her last breath and silently passed away. So Liz, it's not the prosecution case that Lucy Letby was responsible for baby Kay's death at Arrow Park. But what they allege is that before she left the Countess, Lucy Letby tampered with baby Kay's breathing tube, causing her to collapse shortly before 4am on the 17th of February, just an hour and a half after her birth. But the defence say Lucy Letby did not harm her. Mr Myers said baby Kay's case was another example of a baby receiving suboptimal care at the Countess and the probable or likely cause for the dislodgement of the tube was the baby inadvertently moving it herself. He said baby Kay should never have been born at the Countess in the first place. It wasn't supposed to look after babies born before 27 weeks and she should have been treated at a more specialist level 3 unit like Arrow Park from the outset. Dr James Smith, who was present at Baby Kay's birth, accepted that doctors at Arrow Park would have been more experienced at dealing with infants of Baby Kay's prematurity. But he insisted level two neonatal units are equipped and have staff capable of stabilising before transportation of a baby of this gestation. And he also said the resuscitation had gone well. Dr Smith also agreed with Mr Myers that antibiotics should have been given to baby Kay in the so-called golden hour. That's the 60 minutes after her birth, but that just did not happen. He agreed that the fact antibiotics were given nearly two and a half hours after her birth was suboptimal, but he insisted that blood tests showed there were no signs of immediate infection. And Mr Myers pointed to evidence given by nurse Jo Williams, who described baby Kay as an active baby after birth. She also said babies could sometimes dislodge feeding tubes accidentally with their own movement. But she explained that nurses were careful to secure the tubes which were clamped and tied to a bobble hat on their heads and insisted that she would never have left baby Kay to update her parents without checking first that she was stable and that the tube was in place. And Mr Myers also asked Dr Jayram about this. He told the jury baby Kay was not a vigorous baby although he accepted he hadn't put this in his police statement and had made a mistake when he said that she'd been sedated and unlikely to move at the time of her collapse. Mr Myers actually suggested to Dr Jayram that he added that detail to give the impression someone had interfered with the tube. But Dr Jayram insisted. She was at 25-week gestation. She had been born and needed resuscitation and she was not behaving in a way that we were worried that she would pull the tube out. At the point when Joe Williams left, she was stable, poorly but stable. She could move, but she was not making any purposeful movement. She was not a baby who was jumping around, so we were not concerned she would dislodge a tube. When Lucy Letby was arrested by police, she was asked about baby Kay, and in court, the prosecutor Nick Johnson Casey read jurors a summary of what she told them. 
She told detectives she only remembered baby Kay because she was tiny and the Countess didn't usually take such premature babies. She said she had no recollection of baby Kay's breathing tube becoming dislodged and agreed that Nurse Williams would never have left her unless she was stable and the tube correctly positioned. And she said she would have raised the alarm if Dr Jerome had not walked in and thought it was possible that she was waiting to see if baby Kay self-corrected. Now she explained that nurses sometimes didn't intervene straight away if a baby's oxygen levels were not dangerously low. Later, she suggested to the police that maybe the tube had not been secured properly and she denied doing anything to deliberately harm baby Kay. Now, in case you missed our bonus episode on Friday, you can hear more detail about Dr Jram's evidence to the court and the revelations about what managers at the hospital had been told by listening back. He claimed he and Dr Breary alerted the Director of Nursing to their concerns, which they referred to as an association as early as October 2015. They raised concerns again in February 2016. This time, they escalated them further by informing the medical director of the Countess as well. Dr Breary even asked for a meeting, but it's claimed that for three months he didn't even get a reply. It was actually another four months before Lucy Letby was removed from the ward. And you can hear the full heated exchange between Dr Jram and Lucy Letby's barrister in episode 19. But this is part of what Dr Jram told the court. We had significant concerns. From the autumn of 2015, we escalated concerns. They were on the radar of someone as senior as the executive director of nursing as far back as October 2015. As clinicians, we put our faith in the system, in senior management to escalate concerns and investigate them. The initial response was, it's unlikely that anything is going on. We'll see what happens. We said, OK, against our better judgment in retrospect. We flagged up again to the medical director and the director of nursing that we had concerns. My colleague, Dr. Stephen Breary, requested a meeting with them. They didn't respond to that for another three months. We were stuck because we had concerns and didn't know what to do. In retrospect, I wish we had bypassed them and gone straight to the police. We by no means were playing judge and jury at any point, but the association was becoming clearer and clearer. We were in an unprecedented situation. No one trains us for this. We were not thinking, could this be deliberate harm? Eventually, we reached a point in June 2016 when we said something has got to change, but that's not for me to talk about now. So that's it for episode 20. We'll be back again next week to tell you about baby N. Now, he was a premature baby boy, admitted to the neonatal unit because he was born with the blood clotting condition haemophilia. It's the prosecution case that Lucy Letby tried to kill him three times on two separate shifts. They say he almost died because she thrust his feeding tube or another piece of medical equipment down his throat. He was transferred to Alderhay Children's Hospital where he recovered and survived. Lucy Letby denies harming him. I'll be in court to listen to the evidence and you can read my daily reports in the mail and on Mail Plus. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lucy Letby Trial or send us an email at thetrialoflucyletby at gmail.com. See you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.